this team was the face of college basketball for an entire season. And what a face they were. They, uh, you know, you made me want, you know, to keep coaching. That's how the brotherhood was formed. You can ask any guy who's part of the brotherhood if they have ever left Duke, and not one of them will say that they did. And you know why? Because every place you go, your heart goes with you. This is the Five Boys Play Podcast, the Die Hard Duke Basketball Fans Podcast. We have a lot to get to since we last all came together. It's been a crazy week and a half or so. Uh, Virginia is the new national championship uh, title winner. Yeah, uh, it's stolen from me. But, um, <laughs> but we're not going to start there. What we're going to start here is, before I bring in my main man, AC, we all know how much you like saying that I told you so. So with that being said, let me have it. You were right. Trey Jones would ultimately return. You were correct. I was wrong. Go ahead. Let me have it. I told you so and i knew it like I, like when we said it like you can hear if if you listen very closely to the last podcast we had about this i, I very subtly snuck in there something about do we want to make a gentleman's bet about this and you just went ahead and skipped right over it because you knew you knew deep down in every in every inch of in every cell of your body that i was right about this well first i would also all, like to say i was right about matthew hurt as well <laughs> i want to put that out there I, there's a lot oh, okay. of i was right tonight yeah, <laughs> yeah all right well i think so that is it for the five point play podcast hope you guys enjoyed it <laughs> Um, no, look, first of all, I wasn't going to make a bet there for two reasons. Uh, one, you still haven't paid off your state dinner bet. And Correct. so I have a, a staunch rule that says we don't make a second <laughs> bet until the first one's paid. Okay. Uh, and secondly, we obviously wanted you to be correct. So let's, yes. let's get past all of this and get right into talking about Trey Jones. Yeah. Obviously, we can talk about what it means for next year and such. But what led you to believe that he would come back? You can rehash you know, some of that stuff that you talked about in the last mm-hmm. podcast. But but really, ultimately, what gave you that gut feeling that he was coming back? I mean, it was – you can you – can like, just from an outsider's perspective, you can look at a few things. And then we're lucky enough to talk to people who, you know, hear certain things or know certain things. And just some of the people that we get a chance to talk to were, at the very least, they weren't they weren't saying he's definitely gone. Like they were, they, there was like at least a little bit of a hope there that he was going to come back. Everybody else, you know, I mentioned, you know, maybe Cam's going to think about some things that's grasping at straws, but at the very least, the Trey thing was there's a good chance he comes back primarily from just from an outsider's perspective, his offensive game is just not developed yet. And it's going to take a year or two for him to develop that. And I think the NBA knows that. And I think that after his tremendous start to the season, they started to see some things. And then when, when the taco fall thing happened against UCF, that was kind of like the, that was the final nail in the coffin, if you will. One one of the other things that pointed at this to me was recruiting. So there wasn't, they weren't for, for really for a year, Duke hasn't looked for a point guard in this class other than possibly RJ Hampton, if he was going to be willing to reclass. And then for a while there, it was like, no, he's not going to reclassify. He's going to stay in his class and he's going to stay in 2020 to, to possibly be the point guard for 2020. So we talked about it before. This is like a two or three year cycle when it comes to recruiting. So 
you know, just hearing that and looking at that says to me, at least it says, well, you know, the, the Duke has a point going on in the roster and it's not Jordan Goldwire. Like they're, they're not putting their hopes on right. Jordan Goldwire for the following season. There's, there's a solid chance that Trey comes back. And then st- still in the same vein of recruiting, you know, Matthew Hurt, you know, you've been hearing all along that he was going to Kansas, everything else, but there was still some stuff there where I was like, no, I think Duke is going to be his team. And one of the things he came out with in January was he wants to go to a team with an established point guard. And the only school that was on his list that would have a returning established point guard that was a past first type guy was Trey Jones with Duke. So the fact that he was even putting that out there and Duke was gaining momentum and recruiting to me, that was coach K's in his ear on the phone, texting, whatever else. And John Shire saying, Hey man, Trey's coming back. You got your, you got your Minnesota boy with you. Like let's go to work. So that that's what was leading me to believe that Trey was coming back. Yeah, you hit on a lot of different things there, and you know our next segment is going to talk about you know recruiting, and mm-hmm. you touched on a lot of it. Let's talk about Trey Jones' game, and yeah. we know clearly his weakness is you know shooting the rock, and right. I do agree. And and for the record, I am not one of those people who says you know you have to come back to work on certain things. You can certainly work on things in the NBA, uh, whether that be you know, on on the bench, in the games, or in the G League. Having said that, for Trey's particular situation, I did always feel the best thing for him would be to come back. I just mm-hmm. didn't know what would happen. And a lot of that had to do with his three brothers leaving, you know, with Cam, yeah. of course, Zion, and RJ. And then the other part was his brother was in the same boat. And that was kind of where and, – and you're right about, you know, I was hearing mixed things. Some of my people, you know, my people, uh, but half <laughs> of them were saying that they thought that he was, you know, likely to come back. And then the other half were thinking that, you know, we, we all expect him to leave. And so I, you know, had to take both of those. But when I kept looking back at it, I felt like, you know, he had his three, you know, incoming freshman brothers leave. You know, Cam, of course, his, you know, his best friend, RJ and Zion. And then I look at, you know, what his, what happened with his brother. His brother had the same situation, you know, with uh, Ja leaving and, you know, Justice playing his way into the lottery and being mm-hmm. one of the hottest names at the end of the year. Obviously, the, the, the difference in the outcome of the team year, you know, probably was the ultimate thing that, that led Tyus to end up leaving versus, you know, what Trey could possibly do. We touched on the thing with Fall. Uh, the other thing to me, though, is I think that it, I think that shoulder injury sent him back a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, that's not the only reason that the shooting numbers were, were poor. So I think whether it is endurance, um, just being more physically stronger coming into the next year, those were things, you know, and certainly, you know, his situation with, uh, with his mom, I, I think those were all factors that probably played, you know, big roles in this. But at the end of the day, you know, he went home after the season. He was in Minnesota. And I have to believe that there was, a, you know, some strong heart-to-hearts from, you know, Tyus's older brothers and, and him. And to to always remember, you know, kind of the start of this, which was run your own race. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to get to the lead, you know, as soon as possible. Maybe it's better for you to come back and and get stronger and become more efficient. In your opinion, now, I'm not going to ask you to give me projections, but what kind of shooter do you believe he's going to be? Because I think that's his biggest weakness. 
Yeah, no, it's absolutely his biggest weakness. And you touched on a really great thing about he and his brother, their relationship. And you saw it when he committed to Duke. It was yep. in their video, write your own story. And I, I love that. I love that phrase so much, especially between those two. And you just kind of see, you know, the bond of two brothers or whatever. And, you know, write your own story. Even back then, you kind of felt like it, you know, it, it could have meant something different other than, you know, Trey just following exactly in his brother's footsteps, which was, you know, national championship, one and done, all that other stuff. Like, he's a different guy and he, he has a different different path. So, you know, who knows how long we see him in the Duke uniform, but I'm really going to enjoy it. But his shooting is going to is, – is really going to be a big factor for next season's team. Next season's team is going to be a really good shooting team anyway, with or without him. And he's – the one thing he does really well is set people up. And so he's definitely going to be able to set people up. So Trey is going to be able to kind of just conduct this this team, man. Like, Zion's the conductor. He always will be. But – and Trey's going to be a different conductor, not so much of the train, yeah. but of the orchestra. And he, he's he's going to put this help put this team together and put all the pieces together once again, because just having another point guard. I mean, we see we've seen this stat a million times now. Just having Kay hasn't had you know a multi-year point guard in almost a decade, I believe now. So it's it's really or like I think we're actually actually exactly on a decade now. But it, it's really nice to have that. And it's nice to see. And. His shooting, he, you know he's going to work on it all summer. He's got John Shire, Nolan Smith. You know, he's, he's got some incredible guys to work with when it comes to shooting. He has no choice but to get better. But what does better mean? Does it mean he's going to come down and be a jacker? No, I don't think so. I don't, he's not going to turn into Seth Curry all of a sudden. That's something that you're born with. But is he going to be serviceable? And he's, is he going to be able to have more than three games on the season where he hits more than one three-pointer? Absolutely. I, I, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing because – on the season, he averaged three and a half assists to one turnover. He did it in normal, right, or outside conference play, and he did it in conference play. So that's that's something that I really, you know, I, I enjoyed seeing and I really liked seeing out of him was kind of like regardless of what happens on offense, he was still really steady. Defensively, he's still going to be the same guy to be able to put pressure on the ball. I think he's going to be even a little more savvy than he was last year. Stamina is going to be better than it was last year because now he's a second-year guy. He's been through the conditioning program already. He's going to go through it again. He can only get better in that regard. So, And he's going to have help. He's going to have more help on the perimeter than he did last season. Like Cam was a really good defender, and RJ had his moments. But the, the guys coming in this coming season, we'll talk about it later, are, are going to help him, I feel like, a little bit more than those guys did. Plus, you're going to have more help off the bench on defense than he had this year. So there's a lot of pluses to having him back, and he's going to have a lot more help this season than he did last year. Yeah, and I think the last thing uh, before we move on is he's going to be healthy going mm-hmm. into the offseason. You know, last year he had the, the nagging hip, hip injury yep. that kind of you know took him basically throughout the entire summer where yep. he could do some things, but um, he's going to have a summer that he can really get a lot stronger. His body's going to look a lot different. And not only that, but I think I can't speak for you, but I have to imagine we both believe he's going to be one of the captains next year. It would it 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 would make less sense for him not to be a captain than it made for Joey Baker to lose his redshirt this year to me. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> it would well, make less sense. Like yeah. he absolutely needs to be a captain on this team yeah. this season. Just, he yeah. has to be. It's he, he's such a good leader already that yeah. imagine one more season of of you know under his belt and what he's going to come in and what he's going to do for the young guys. They absolutely. all you know immediately attract to him. And I think, you know, let's get into our second topic, which is 
spot. Recruiting, and we're doing this podcast on Friday. Uh, just a couple hours ago, Matthew Hurt decided to choose the Brotherhood. Yep, and absolutely. Um, and you alluded to it earlier. You're absolutely right. How big of a role was when Trey Jones? I mean, I think you and I texted immediately mm-hmm. after Trey Jones saying that he was going to come back. Just go ahead and put in Sharpie Matthew Hurt to Duke. Yeah, that was that was the final straw for sure. That was that is what brought him to Duke. That was he. That is what he and his father. That was part of their plan. That was something that they wanted and needed for him to be able to showcase his skills. He's he's a different cat in terms of how he thinks about things and how he's going to go about things. And and I know in this era of and you know we had Trey Jones come back. Good job for us. We're going to lose one and dones all over the place again. But he's a different guy and. If he's not ready for the league, he's not going to jump after year one. So having him is is huge because you have you have a guy who's going to be good from from day one, and then you also have a guy who's not only is he going to be good for day one, but he's also there's a chance that he's around for a little bit longer until he gets exactly where he needs to be to go to the league. So I, I love having him. It's another shooter to add to the roster. It's another offensive threat. His his offensive mentality is. Is a he's got a go get it offensive mentality. He's he's gonna go for buckets. He's gonna look for shots. That's his game. He's gonna be after it on defense. That's the one kind of question mark with him. Can he play lateral defense? We're gonna find out. He's gonna have a whole summer to work on it. Uh, his his shot blocking ability is good because of his length and his activity. He's not the world's greatest rebounder in terms of pushing guys out of the way, but he's an opportunistic rebounder. He gets good boards. Like he gets long rebounds off of shots. He gets hustle rebounds. He's not going to dive on the floor and, you know, he's not going to pull a Kyle Singler and jump into the audience or anything, but he, he will go after balls. He'll go after rebounds. He's going to help this team defensively on, on the boards. And it's, he's, he's a good player. And, and for Kay to be able to run the five out, like he wants to do, like he's, like I don't, I don't know that we're understanding that Kay in his in the twilight of his career, he is set on running this five out. He is set on making this something that is going to revolutionize college basketball. That's what he does, and that's going to be his lasting legacy. Is that he brought the five out to college? Like that's going to be his thing. So this team, Matthew Hurt, is just another piece to add to to be able to stretch the floor out and and play from the outside in and and that's that's one of his that's his biggest strength is is that ability so i love having him i always liken him to to zach collins at gonzaga he he's farther along than zach was obviously coming out of high school but you know, the player they both are going to end up being is going to be very similar in terms of the the ability to block shots zach collins is a tremendous shot blocker and i think matthew Hurd is going to show that a little bit but then also the range, the range and the mid-range game and, and being able to take guys off the dribble. Hurt is a really good ball handler. So I, I love it, man. I like I like having him, and I'm I'm so happy he's on board. Yeah, it's a piece that we felt confident about uh, the, the further this recruitment went on. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a guy that, you know, our last podcast, this guy wasn't even on our radar. Cassius Mm-mm. Stanley. Yeah. Get an announcement coming up this Monday in a couple of days here when – Probably this podcast is going to going to drop. We both mm-hmm. believe that Cassius Stanley is going to pick Duke. Talk yeah. about his game because he literally came out of nowhere. He his game has evolved so quickly that it's like I, I've I've always like I've always looked at at basketball players in a way, and I've seen it through through playing and through coaching and through watching and everything else. And you can kind of see a pattern with a lot of guys. 
if they were like really good as freshmen and sustain that all the way through, you know, their senior year or whatever, then when they come into college as freshmen, they're on the same path. Like they're going to be really good as freshmen. Some guys like take Ryan Kelly, for instance, not so good as a freshman sophomore. He really blew up his junior and senior year. And guess what he did at Duke? Same exact thing. Nolan Smith, same exact thing. There's a lot of guys that that happens to. It's just the way their learning curve is. Like they have a certain learning curve. That's how it goes. Cassius Stanley to start his you know high school career he was a he was a top 10 recruit mainly because of his athleticism so you know you see this freshman who jumps out of the gym gets to the lane at will he's faster than everybody else he jumps higher than everybody else you know he he's going to look better than everybody else and you project him to be one of those guys it's going to be spectacular well then all of a sudden he kind of curbs off a little bit because now guys are catching up to him he's still probably the most athletic guy in his class but his other skills weren't catching up to some of the other guys. And then all of a sudden, like this season, he hit, he, he developed a jump shot that was really good, actually. And I, everything I'd seen and heard and everything else, not a good jumper shot. Like he, he doesn't have a good jumper. It's like, ah, uh, you know, we don't want to, we don't want a guy necessarily who's on the perimeter, not able to shoot. This guy can shoot now, man. He's, I, 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 my best Duke comparison for him is Corey Maggette. Like he has, wow. he has that level out there at the three and he has that level at the rim. And those are Corey's two levels. He, he could, he could get to the rim and, and put it down and he could shoot. And, and Cassius Stanley has that. He's, he can put it off the glass really well. His, his, his ball spin off the glass is really nice. His, his jumper, man, it's, it's, it's there. It's progressing. And he's only going to work on it more over the summer. And, like he's he's going to be a player and then defensively he's he's a defensive hound he like gets after the ball man his activity he he loves making guys life miserable he's one of those guys who's got like that little bit of a screw loose where he likes making people miserable i like that about him and that's that's going to be something that that k is going to be able to do a lot of things with on on the defensive end for duke so you know what man like he wasn't on the radar i thought it was going to be you know more along the lines of rj hampton or something like that but hey man i'm I'm very happy that we're getting him, and I and I wasn't before. Like thinking about him coming in before was yeah. like, I was I was a little bit of at a pause, and now like now that I've kind of it's you know you see some of these things, and I I stopped looking at him because I didn't think he was even a Duke recruit anymore since last year when he reached out to Duke himself. I was like, eh, whatever. And and since then he's changed so much. Yeah, you know that was the thing when this initially came out, and again this is all been within a couple of weeks here. When mm-hmm. this initially happened, my initial reaction was. You know, I, I had to find out, I had to relearn about this guy, uh, find out what his strengths are. Uh, he, yep. to me, reminded me a little bit of Gerald Henderson. Um, mm-hmm. and that was the kind of the comparison that I like. But either way, I just felt like I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the staff is doing here in terms yeah. of, does that mean that they feel like, you know, somebody's leaving uh, in, in terms of transferring? Does that mean right. they don't really buy into um, a couple of the guys coming in? I, I was just trying to figure out exactly what it was that made the staff say, you know, this is this is our guy. We 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 actually really do believe that we need this kind of skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, from that standpoint, though, for you, what do you have there in terms of his skill set? And did we really have the need, in your opinion? Absolutely. The thought, and, and this is this is it's gonna it's gonna come out wrong, and I don't want it to. But just the thought of Matthew Hurd at the three and Wendell Moore at the two really bothered me. And it's it's just because of what those guys do. It it doesn't like Wendell Moore can't he's he doesn't want to be like 
the number one or two scorer on this team. He doesn't, yeah. and he's not going to be. And, and putting him in that off-guard position off a tray was going to put him in that position to have to be the number number two, at, at the very least, number two scorer on the team. And that that wasn't a comfortable thing for me to think about because I know that's not what he's going to want to do either. This sign, he is totally different from anybody we have on the roster, which is nice. And what that also does is it's not like you're stacking the same guy on top of somebody else. Like, if anything, Boogie is stacked on top of Alex O'Connell because they're going to play the same role. Like, yeah. Cassius, Cassius Stanley is not stacking on top of Alex O'Connell or Boogie. He's something that's totally different. So you can have Cassius in the game, and then you can still have Boogie and or Alex in the game. I, I don't think his recruitment chases anybody off right away. I think both of those guys are at least going to make it through that first semester. And if anything, if they really are going to leave or want to leave, then they'll leave in December where they'll be eligible to play for a team the following season. Like, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think it's going to chase anybody away off right off the bat. Like, Alex O'Connell's a dude guy through and through. His dad went there. He's a dude guy through and through. And, and so is Boogie. He, he wants to be there. Even if even coming off the West Coast, he wants to come to Duke. And, and then Cassius Stanley, he, play, he played with Marvin Bagley. Like, this is where he was introduced to Duke from the beginning. And and now, you know, that that relationship rekindled. And, and here they are, man. So they're going to go to work with these guys. And they're going to be able to put these guys in the game at the same time or spell each other with these guys. Like, it's there's a lot of interchangeable parts here. So I don't think – I personally don't think it chases anybody away. I don't think it should. You know, whether or not these guys feel the same way, obviously it's up to them. That's their personal belief. But, you know, if they want to leave, they want to leave. If they don't, then this is going to be a really a really versatile lineup. And I, I like the way the perimeter looks for this team, whereas prior to Trey coming back and prior to the recruitment of Cassius Stanley – the perimeter really looked like the big weakness on this team. So it's it's a different it's a different team from what we thought we were going to have a month ago, which is lovely. It's like it's it's yeah. really nice to be a Duke fan right now. It, it, it is, and uh, I just want to point out one thing. I want to make sure I get this in here. Uh, ha ha ha! To all the <laughs> people that were saying the sky is falling when Jeff Cable left, and we yeah. missed out on a couple a couple two recruits. I Absolutely. Mean, guys, Back it up a little bit, just yep. relax. You know, it was always going to be felt in this class, and now we'll, what are we going to have? AC? We're going to have the number one class again. Oh, yeah. oh and, yeah. You know, and I just want I want to I want to ask I want to put an asterisk on this. Hear me, everybody. That doesn't guarantee us anything. It, it just means it puts us in a better position than we were a month ago. Let's Absolutely. At that. I want to finish the recruiting topic up with uh, the guy that we've uh, kind of mentioned a couple times here, R.J. Hampton. Which, yeah. if Trey was leaving, it was kind of thought that RJ would reclassify and mm-hmm. come to Duke. He wants to come to Duke. Everybody knows that. It's not a secret. Do you think that he stays in 2020, which is what, as a Duke fan, we hope, but all signs are kind of pointing to him, and, and to use his own words, reclassifying in October, or actually in August, and figuring it out then, in which case you'd imagine he would go. <sighs> I... If he if he reclassifies in August, he goes to Memphis. If if Trendon Watford goes to Memphis, he goes to Memphis and reclassifies. He he had the big huge quote about you know I want to play with another another elite guard. Yeah. Um, Memphis right now they're stacking their front court. They don't they don't have an elite guard right now. They have an established guard that they've had on the roster, but they don't have an elite guard. So. You know, I, I don't know if that's just lip service or what, but I, I would like him to stay in 2020. But with Duke's 
with Duke's pursuit of Jalen Johnson and BJ Boston, and those two are probably coming Duke for sure. The only question mark is Jeremy Roach. Everything up here in this area, which is where he's from, points to him yeah. loving Duke and wanting to go to Duke. I know he used it's one of those stories where he used to be a Kentucky fan, all this other stuff. He he wants to come to Duke. He's he loves what they're selling. Trevor Keels, his buddy at, at Paula Six, also likes Duke a lot. That's a guy for 2021, I believe. He's he's going to be in Monster as well. But yeah. Hampton, I mean, it's one of those things. Like if if you want to stay in 2020, he's going to come to Duke because he loves the school. Like he he loves this team. It's his it's his fanhood. But it's kind of the same thing we're saying with Roach about Kentucky. His fanhood. Like he's also looking out for his career. And Memphis is hot right now, man. Like Penny Hardaway is selling some good stuff down there in Memphis. So. I wouldn't be surprised in August to see him go to Memphis, especially if they can stack the team with Watford and they already have James Wiseman. I, I, he, the opportunity to play with those two for a kid like that is is really a great opportunity. And and that's like a, a big three type of thing, type of situation that Penny Hardaway is selling. So I I, I wouldn't be surprised. Watford commits this weekend on, on Monday. So I, I think Watford goes to Memphis. And if that happens, I think you see Hampton go to Memphis as well on, on a yeah. reclassification. Yeah, gun to my head right now, I think he reclassifies and goes to Memphis. Um, yeah. Duke fan in the hopes that he sticks around in 2020, enjoys the uh, all-star circuit, and uh, then commits to Duke to be our next point guard. You know, you'd assume that Trey would, would leave, but that is kind of jumping the guns. But let's talk right. about Trey, and let's talk about next year. Next play me. Okay. Prediction for lineups for next year. I mean, we assume... Uh, we're going to look like fools if he doesn't, but we're going to assume that Cash's pits Duke by the time that this yep. podcast drops. Where do you see the lineup right now? I think for me personally, I think the only guys that are, are permanent written in are obviously Trey at the one, Hurt at the three, and Perry at the four or five, depending on how mm-hmm. you want to do it. So I... I disagree a bit with you about hurt at the three. I, okay. and, and really that comes down to defense. I, I think, and, and really you, you saw it in the hoop summit. Wendell Moore has really established himself and shown what he does. He's not, he's not a wild athlete. Like he's not this, this specimen. He, he's a strong, strong kid. He's so smart, man. He like, dare, dare I say he is the next Chris Carewell for Duke. Like, that would be Just, amazing. He does a little that? bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that, that's what he does. Like he's a he's a phenomenal rebounder. He could play point if we really needed him to. And if we need him to get buckets, he'll get them. Like he's not going to be the first option. Like if he if he's the guy that they're going to put double teams on, he's not going to thrive. But if he can go one-on-one, his angles, man, he he attacks and it's it's so subtle. But the angles that he attacks from are just amazing. And you hear about it like the first time, not the first time, but really angles were really brought about. Like LeBron James was like angles, angles, angles. Like, and so now guys are, that's like the hot, the hot topic in basketball is like saying angles. Like you sound really smart when you talk about angles, but he does like he, he really attacks angles so well. He knows how to counter move guys. And when he gets to the basket, he's, he's almost always at the perfect position to make the shot for for the angle on which he attacked, which that's what you want out of a kid. And he's strong enough to get it. That's the thing about it. So on offense, he's there. And on defense, he's just, he. we're going to love him on defense. We're not going to have a Zion eraser this year, but we're also not going to have some of those, a lot of those mistakes that we had that led to Zion having to erase this year. So 
like Wendell's going to take care of business on the perimeter like Trey does. Like he's going to take care of his man and Cassius is going to take care of his man on the floor. So I, I think we're going to see a roster of Trey at the one, Cassius at the two, Wendell at the three. And then the four and five are what's up in the air. Vernon Carey is going to start. If Marquise comes back, I think we see him at the five, and I think we see Vernon at the four. If if que- whatever reason, if he doesn't come back, I I think he's coming back. But if he doesn't come back for whatever reason, then I see I think we see Vernon at the five, and and Javin or Hurt are gonna battle it out for that four spot. And and I th- I think that's what that th- that's the battle we're gonna see moving into to this to the the actual the season, um, moving into CTC and everything else. Either way you know hurt's going to come off the bench or start and goes to that four spot maybe play some three on a big lineup uh javin's going to come in the game jack's going to come into the game and play those two spots four and three maybe even the five some with javin so this the lineup versatility is huge plus you have boogie coming off the bench you have alex coming off the bench and the wild card is joey baker there he's he's had a year under his belt now at a college program and he's a big shooter if he can improve himself on defense, he's going to play. Like his size and his activity under the basket on rebounds and things is is a big thing. Like he's he's very similar to Jack White in how he plays, and that he's a commodity. He's a he's a, he is a nice commodity to have. So it's there's a lot of a lot of versatility there, and a lot of a lot of lineup versatility. And this season we saw eight guys or nine guys average you know ten minutes a game. So, like, I, I don't see why that would change this year, especially with the veteran depth that we're going to have off the bench. Like, that's that's the beauty of this team is there's there are some some veterans coming off the bench who have been through some stuff, man. And yeah. and I like that a lot. So I, I'm excited for it. I, I think this the lineup possibilities are endless. K's, this is one of those things where K gets to be a mad scientist and just I'm sure he's giddy with how much he gets to play with on this team. Uh, it, it's It's awesome, man. I love it. Yeah, he talked about last night at the at the banquet, or mm-hmm. a couple nights ago, I guess, uh, at the Duke banquet, um, how much he loves being at Duke, talking about Kay. Yeah. And yeah. just talking about how he's so energized. I think he can't wait to get back there tomorrow. Oh, uh, yeah. Excuse me, uh, get back there for, for next season. If he could do it tomorrow, he would. Um, to get into your point about Hurt and talking about, you know, be, being a little bit uneasy with the defense is kind of where my lineup goes. And Mm-hmm. By the time we drop again, the deadline will be passed for the NBA draft to enter your name. I expect Bolden to come back. I mm-hmm. think that he will anchor the five position. And yep. I really like what he does defensively before he got, you know, kind of like final injury mm-hmm. um, against UNC. He was having a great season defensively. He was able to switch off the one through five. He held his own. He can move laterally very quick, even with guards. I love the idea of having him hold down the four at the five with Trey pressuring the ball at the one. I yep. love the idea of Wendell Moore being out there. So when I originally thought about it, I, you know, before Cassius, I thought, you know, Trey, Wendell, Hurt, and Perry, where mm-hmm. three of those five for sure are going to be really, really good defenders. Perry should be able to at the four, just eat the rebounds for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then that kind of hides Hurt a little bit where he shouldn't be as exposed. But right. I, you know, now with Cassius, it's kind of like, you know, does Hurt, does he come off the bench? I don't. I just don't see a scenario where, you know, I'm not going to say he was promised a starting role, but, you know, a tough, you know, 10 kid like that, I, I don't think that he comes in there 
thinking that he's going to come off the bench. Could it happen? Sure. But, I, you know, I, I would, I, I'm, and I, I'll tell you what, I like the idea of Boogie playing alongside Trey. Um, he's good, I man. Think, yeah, I, and he can fill he's it good. up, and he's that yeah. ball handler. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts. You know, everybody was talking about, you know, Boogie Ellis, is he the, is he the odd man out now? I don't think so. Absolutely. Uh, if anybody, you know, the, like you said, the possibilities are endless. It's not a popular opinion among Duke fans or, or rival fans that pay, you know, only play seven guys, maybe eight at the max. I think you're going to see him next year play nine and ten guys. I really do. Of course, yeah. in crunch time, some other guys are going to get the bulk of the minutes. But, you know, at the end of games, at, at the end of tight games, to have, you know, Trey, Boogie, Pashes, you know, Hurt and Carey in the game or some sort of you know, combination like that, that's ball handlers, that's shooters, mm-hmm. quickness out on the perimeter, you know, get, getting in into the face of, of their ball handlers. I, I like what we can do next year, and you touched on it, the experience coming back is going to be huge for this team. Alex is going yeah. to do a lot of stuff. Obviously, Bolden, he's going to be a four-year guy. Mm-hmm. Javin as well, and Javin kind of came on a little bit toward the end. You know, Jack, I think he's going to see a therapist uh, every single day. <laughs> uh, this summer, he's going to get his head right. He's going to, you know, he's going to be a great leader for these young guys as well. Yeah. And well, I, I just think, yeah. The the pressure is going to be off of him, and and that's the thing. Like, and you and you started you started to touch on it. Like, this roster is going to be what do you need? It's it's going to be the closest thing. And again, it's made up of a lot of freshmen and such, but that's basketball these days. It's going to be a lot of NBA type roster where. Do we need a tall lineup? Do we need a shooting lineup? Do we need a free throw shooting lineup? Do we need a rebounding lineup? Like the the lineup possibilities are ridiculous with the squad. And it's it's like you said, like, what do you need at the moment? Like, do you need some shooting to get back into a game right now? Okay, toss these guys in. To- toss in Alex, toss in Boogie, toss in Trey, toss in Matt, toss in Carey, because Vernon Carey is a, an, an amazing shooter for a big. Like, let's not downplay that. Like, his, like this dude's going to be a monster next year. Yeah, that's like. Exactly. Do we need rebounding? Let's get Queese. Let's get Javin. Let's get Carey. Let's get Jack White in there. Like if we need him, like yeah. there's like, and, and then on top of that, there's a bunch of fouls to go around. So do we need the foul a little bit? Like, like it's, that's where the defense is going to be improved is that there's a lot of fouls available. So you can play physical with teams. Like you can do what Texas tech did, which is let's try to draw some charges. Let's put, let's put bodies on bodies down low. Let's do these types of things. Like there, there is not, Defensively, there's not a weak spot because you can put somebody in to handle it. Like, there's not a weak spot defensively. Not at the five, not at the four, not at the three, not at the two, not at the one. Like, this team, let's, I'm not going to oversell it because this team is its still a lot of freshmen, a lot of question marks. We don't know what's exactly going to happen with these guys. But the possibilities are endless. Like, it's, it's, this lineup is going to be very versatile. Very versatile and very good. Yeah, the yeah the versatility is the thing that I'm going to keep coming back to throughout the summer here. We're going to be as versatile as K wants us to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of versatile, we are honored for the first time ever on the oh, Five Point Play podcast. Our first ever <laughs> former Duke basketball player. We are honored to have the great, the original KD, Penny Denard, <laughs> joining us. Uh, welcome in, Penny. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Awesome. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to kick things off by, you know, we see you at all the games. 
uh, you have, and first of all, I do want to ask you, you have an unbelievable hat. That, yeah, well, you mean that Big Blue? Carolina go big... to help hat. How do I get that hat? <laughs> oh, that, oh, that hat. Well, yeah, that hat is, uh, my buddy and I, Holt uh, Gardner, have these license tags that have GTHC, GTH on them. <laughs> and, we, and we've had them for a while, and a bunch of other friends got them, too. And then uh, in 2017, some to, oh, 2018, early 2018, a Wall Street Journal reporter called me and said he wanted to do an article about it. I went, you're kidding me, right? Wow. So he, he asked yeah. the question, and I gave him some other people who, and you know, and the thing is, is you had to lie to the DMV to get it because they don't let you have words like hell or anything derogatory. So instead <laughs> of go to South Carolina, go to hell. I said it meant get that hat, get that hat. Oh, that's awesome. Get that oh, hat, wow. cat. Get that, get that <laughs> hat, cat. Get that hat. As a Dr. Seuss thing. No anyway, way. It wound, up being, it wound up being on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, uh, May, uh, I March remember that 2nd. Article. Yeah. Yeah. Back Friday. It was the Friday before the Grayson Allen's last game. So it was quite a buzz. It was so funny. I couldn't believe it. And it made the front page of the, of the, of the uh, Wall Street Journal. So therefore, you know, it, it turned all these people started calling and said, Hey, we we want some gear, we want some shirts with that. And I, Do you own the logo? And I, I went, Well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't own it, but I checked, I've, I've done trademarks and patents before many times. And so I did the search and it was open, so I applied for it. Oh, wow. Open up, we got the web, we got the website, so it's gthcgth.com and uh, it talks about a little bit of Duke how the history of go to hell carolina go to hell which there's on the site and it has a yep. store that you can buy stuff like the hats or the beanies or you know rally towels or t-shirts or so we have about 15 or 16 items that you can get in different sizes and things like that but the way it kind of came about was so funny because i'd had that tag for like eight years and holt had had it for like nine years and then now <clears throat> we, we figure there's about 30 states that have it and uh, you know you can only have one per state, and there's variations of that theme. So that's kind of how that happened. So anybody wants to buy, go to Hell Carolina, go to Hell Gear, GTHC, GTH, you can go to GTHCGTH.com and hit the store button and you know buy away. And my we have uh, <laughs> my bank account job. is about to get my bank account is about to get a lot lighter here in a second, man. <laughs> that's so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's so awesome. I I feel like your website's gonna crash after this podcast drops. I hope you guys have more gear stored up. But um, kind of switching gears, um, I wanted to ask you. You know, you, you get back to Duke a lot. Um, could you talk to us a little bit? You know, from your experience, Duke back then when you were a student to when you come back to campus and go to games now. Oh yeah, no, it's when I chose Duke. Um, I was a. I grew up in just north of Winston Salem, North Carolina, and I chose Duke. Duke had been last place for four straight years in the ACC, and they lost the first game of the ACC tournament. So um, Bill Foster had come in, and he brought in a couple of great players, Jim Spinarco and Mike Jaminski. Then Gene Banks was another player that came in with me. And from our freshman year, we kind of went from zero to sixty in two nanoseconds. We mm-hmm. made it to the national championship game. Um, became kind of a, I mean, back then it, there wasn't a lot of national coverage. It was regional, and then we made it to the Final Four, and the finals were national TV. So you only had three channels back then, so everybody watched. 
and it was a big game. We almost beat Kentucky. They beat us by six, and they were the number one team. But we became, you know, the favorite for the next year, and we had, uh, you know, some success the next couple of years. We made it to the regional finals my junior year, and then my senior year, they, you know, our coach had left after my junior year, and senior year, this guy named Mike Krzyzewski came in and was Gene and I were his first captains. So, you know, that was the start of something we didn't know was going to become what it certainly has become. Uh, he was a young coach, 33, 34 years old. And I mean, I was 22 my senior year. And so, I mean, it was really a unique situation, but funny before I go back to my freshman year, if you walked off Duke campus back then, you didn't see Duke on t-shirts. You didn't see Duke gear. You saw Carolina and you saw NC state. NC state had just won a national championship in 74 Carolina has been always great, and you just didn't see Duke stuff. Duke had been in a little lull. So, you know, Gene and I and Jaminski and Spinarkle are very proud that we helped bring Duke back to some level of prominence and then, you know, getting on <clears throat> the national stage and staying there for a few, three years. And then Coach K obviously had to build his team up, and then, you know, with his recruiting class of Dawkins and Billis and Allery and David Henderson, those guys really took it to the next level and started his foundation for his great success for Coach K. So it was, it's nice to be in that kind of asterisk or, you know, little thing about being part of something. But it, we were playing before cable. You know, I tell people I played BC before cable. <laughs> you know, we had color – we did have color TV, though. Okay, it was right. just, just – so, but it was – I look back at the tapes of our games and, you know, the fonts or these courier texts. You know, it's all these little crappy fonts, and just replays are very rare and not that great. The quality of the, the video is not good. So there's not a lot of history on television before ESPN came around after, our, you know, we were gone because all the games that were C.D. Chesley and Sail with the Pilot, all those films were lost. The, the master tapes were burned up in a vault fire. So there's no – if you ever look oh, – wow. Any, yeah, anything you see that's before ESPN really is because of teams that have video, uh, uh, tape, eight mil, a 16 millimeter uh, film that they would shoot because you always had every team film their games. They had a camera up in a, like we had it in the crow's nest across from sure. where the TV cameras were. So that if you see anything that has any of us from those days, it's always, it's usually always from those films and it's it's pretty grainy and you know you can tell it's not modern but, <laughs> well yeah uh, no it's it's funny you say that because what one of the videos that i i love and i've seen it for a couple of years now on youtube even is your backwards dunk which was yeah i believe it's officially like the first reverse dunk in ncaa history on television right yes yes and you saw it on my youtube channel because that yeah that, that came that actual clip is an nbc clip but I didn't get it from NBC when I was in the pros. I was playing with you know, for San, uh, Kansas City. I was in the summer league, and I just beat cancer and was making my comeback. And um, a guy named uh, Roy Firestone, who had the first cable talk show mm -hmm. on uh, on USA Cable called Sports Talk, and you know he had me come on to the show when I was out in LA, and he showed that clip. Uh, you know, and I, I had not really seen it. I didn't really have, have access. You know, we didn't have all this video and instant access to the history. 
So after the show was over and I did my interview and had a good time with Roy, I asked him if I could get a copy of it. So they cut me a, they made me a, a copy of VHS copy for me. To, to, so I had that in my box. I carried it around with me all the places I moved. And then about, I don't know what year is after the, after the year 2000, somebody, they kept bugging me. Hey, we want to see that clip. If you, and I found the tape and I turned it into digital. And if you look at it, Mm-hmm. It's real grain. It's really grainy because oh, yeah, yeah. it, it was you know not high quality anyway. But then a second or third generation copies. Right. So if that's you ever cool. seen that video, that's the only only replay of that ever anywhere publicly that I know of. So if you saw it, it was on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Has has some other uh, old you know old historical footage that you know hard to watch because it's so grainy but there's some there's some pretty cool video back there oh man that is awesome like i, I love this i love i love this insight to some of these things that you know we, we always just see as duke fans uh, another thing that we want to get some of your insight on was what have you noticed like being around the program now what have you noticed the change in the change in you know the landscape of recruiting because obviously you know aau has changed the game and shoe companies have changed the game a little bit What what's different from you know, kind of outside of that, what's different from when you were being recruited to to what you're seeing now? Well, when back before, back in the day, we didn't have <laughs> all those recruiting services. The only guy who did anything really as a recruiter service was a guy named Howard Garfinkel, mm-hmm. and he had oh, yeah. a camp. He had a camp called Five Star Camp up in the mountains in in Pennsylvania, called Five Star Camp, and and all the great players got to go there. It was invitation only, mm-hmm. and if you got to go to that. And so I heard about it, and and my between my junior and senior year, I got an invitation um, to go through a coach who had seen me play around Lake Forest and whatever, Neil McGahee. Uh, so he, he was actually a head coach at Duke, uh, and then he mm-hmm. was for one year, and then moved over to Wake Forest as an assistant. So I got an invitation to go to to Five Star, and that's where you know that was my Schwab's pharmacy, or you know the the counter at Schwab's pharmacy. Like all those actresses and actors yeah. that were discovered, Five Star <laughs> was where I got discovered, and I had like 200 schools after that week. Start oh wow! Recruiting. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Uh, funny enough, Duke was the first school to call, and that was back uh, the Wednesday. I was in camp from like Sunday to Saturday. Mm-hmm. They called on Wednesday, and my mom was like, you know, she was like going crazy. Oh, he must be doing well. <laughs> and, and uh so anyway i got a bunch more calls and i got recruited and but it was just ironic that bob Winslow at duke called me first uh right and i wound up going to duke because i had no idea you know i had no idea what was going to happen i mean i was this little kid well six foot seven kid but was, <laughs> right right but i was this kid from king north carolina playing against guys who were on you know the back then the letterman magazine was really the only magazine that followed college i mean high school recruiting you know and all the big players like gene banks and albert king and wayne mccoy and kyle macy you know all the great players of that era in the 70s were on letterman Day. they were all americans so i got to see and play against them those types of players at five star and i held my own i made the all-star team the first kid and blower than the mason dixon line they say because <laughs> it's mostly a northern you know, it draws kids from the Northeast mostly, mm-hmm. but uh, being from North Carolina, I guess I'm, that's North now, right? But so <laughs> uh, that was how I got discovered. And then the recruiting process back then was you'd get letters from schools 
and I, you know, I kept I kept them for many many years. I, I mean, boxes of letters, and like Louisville, each one of them would have some of them were form letters that you would get more than once. And like Louisville sent me the same letter five times, and the only way I you could it was different because they used several different IBM Selectric ball, you know, those font balls they would use. I don't know mm-hmm. if you even know yeah, what yeah. IBM Selectric writer, but the secretaries. Oh, yeah. The assistants would, they called them secretaries back then, but they would type up these letters, and the, but they were form letters. And I got like five of the same letter, but in different fonts from these old, these old IBM Selectric typewriters. But uh, I kept them all for a long, long time. It was a lot of fun to open that up and dust it out and read all the crazy stuff. And, and you know, got to do my, did the recruiting visits. I visited mm-hmm. Carolina and Duke and Syracuse and Clemson and a couple other places and but uh what impressed me when I visited Duke was not only the school but you know coach Foster was was the coach then and like I said they had they had uh had three he'd been there three years and they'd had or two years they had two losing seasons they had two losing seasons before he got there mm-hmm. and so it was that it was that crazy feeling that this was the place I needed to go. I could get a great education and I could potentially get a chance to play some. All the other coaches like Norm's, Norm, uh, what was the NC State coach name? Norm. Oh, Norm, uh, Norm Sloan? Norm Sloan, yeah. Norm Sloan yeah. met me uh, and he, the first thing he did is shake my head and said, I hear great things about you. If you come to NC State, I promise you, you will start. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of like out of the yeah, Robbie Robbie Benson one on one show, you know, the, <laughs> right, the right. Movies, it was like off. But Bill Foster said, you know, I'm not going to promise you anything. I can promise you, you'll get a great education and you'll be with great guys. And that's, that's what awesome. you know. You, and Gene, who came, who he signed in the spring. I signed in November. Well, I committed in November. You couldn't actually sign until the spring, but right. I committed and I wrote every coach that ever sent me a letter, recruiting me. I wrote them a form letter saying, "Thanks for recruiting me, but I'm going to go to Duke." Everybody pretty much, you know, took that and said, Congrats, I got some nice congratulations. We hope wish you well. Mm-hmm. A couple of schools said, Well, you know, you know, they they're terrible. Why are you going there? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's some real class guys. <laughs> and then the guys at Wake Forest who thought they kinda of had me in the bag, one of the assistant coaches sent me a Christmas card my senior in high school after I committed. He said, Dear Kenny, hope you're as happy next Christmas as you are this Christmas. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, so again, I loved Wake Forest. I grew up around Wake Forest and played yeah, there yeah. all the time. That kind of put a little put a little gas in the tank for the first time I got to play in the Big <laughs> I was about to say, yeah. <laughs> so, the, so I'm 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 I didn't have any idea I'd, I'd play a lot at Duke, but I certainly wanted to. And I came in and I started, you know, the you know, 34 games. That was mm-hmm. the the most ever by a freshman. Because of course, freshmen hadn't played very much. That, right, you know, right. He only started playing a few years before I started there. But play it started 34 games, and the first time I played Wake Forest was in the Big Four tournament in Greensboro. Which oh wow, yeah. Big, and we played Wake Forest, and and I went five for five from the field, <laughs> five for five from the free throw line, and we beat them. And I was walking off the court, and I saw that assistant coach, and I said, "Hey, Christmas is going to be great this year." Oh man, <laughs> oh, yeah, there we go. That is awesome. That is yeah, awesome. So, like, so it, it's I love that you mentioned mentioned Coach Foster and and you know your your experiences a little bit with him. It, you're you're one of the guys who you, you know you and Gene are you know a couple of those guys who bridged the gap between he and and Coach K. What 
what similarities have you seen between the two? And then maybe what differences did you see? And did you see K, you know, maybe not having the, you know, one of the greatest, the greatest career of all time in college basketball, but did, did you see at least some of that potential there when, when, when you met him and, and played under him? Not at all. I mean, and, and, you know, he and I are great friends now. I mean, but, but mm-hmm. when he just kind of put up with us, we weren't his players. You know, he just kind of right. tolerated us, and you know, we kind of tolerated. I mean, he, he played man to man and and motion. Mm-hmm. So you know, whereas we had been playing, we played five different defenses, and we had all kinds of different offensive sets. Uh, so it re- that was more what we thought coaching was, as opposed to just go out and play man to man and motion offense, which doesn't have any sure. real structure. So you know, we did okay. I mean, Gene and I had a a decent senior year. It wasn't the greatest. Uh, compared to our freshman year, it was the hockey-shaped jig curve the reverse way. You know, you go to mm-hmm. the national championship your freshman year and your senior year you're playing in the NIT. But, right. Uh, yes, but still, we had a good senior year. We beat Carolina in that big game, one of the yep. most famous games in Cameron. Uh, Gene hit this great shot to put it in overtime and then hit a shot. And that was the team, Carolina. They went to the finals that year against uh, Indiana and lost, but that mm-hmm. was a great team. So we had a good memories from that year. But really, the you know, the, both of us went into the pros, and you know, it was really tough. To our, our way, I played for Kansas City, and Phil Ford was a teammate. Hawkeye Whitney from NC State was a teammate. Yep. And every now and then they'd open up USA Today, which was really the only newspaper that had the lot, you know, the games from last night printed up because the other regular papers were always kind of the day after you know the next day because they didn't have satellites and stuff so they'd open up USA Today and go tag dog what's well, what's going on at Duke I said what <laughs> they, lost, they lost Appalachian last night oh man I said oh uh, then a couple of weeks later we were in DC playing the bullets and Hawkeye goes man dog is your coach going to stay there they all just lost to Stetson or something. You know, oh wow! Or, you know, yeah, Wagner. Or somebody. I mean, it was, it was, just, yeah. it was, it was tough. But you know, the thing about the Coach K situation is he had three tough years. You know, our year was winning season, then he had two losing seasons, and you know, he, he was only making forty thousand a year. So wow. Tom Butters yeah. calls it. So after he loses to Virginia by forty, his ACC tournament there. I guess that was eighty three. Coach, uh, Coach uh, Tom Butters calls Coach K in, and he thinks he's getting fired. And he told the story of his Hall of Fame induction at Duke, and uh, Tom Butters sitting there in a wheelchair before watching this, and it was, it was a really emotional story about how mm-hmm. he walks in, he walks into Tom Butters' office, and he's kind of shaking, thinking he's getting fired. And Tom slides this piece of paper to him and says, um, he thinks this is his resignation he's going to sign, but it was a five-year extension for two hundred fifty thousand a year. Wow. And you know, think wow. about that today. Think yeah, yeah. Today. You think there's any athletic director in the country that would do that? But he said, you know, I have faith in you, and I know this. You can make this your school. You can make this your team. And the rest is history. You yep. know, it's legend. It's legend uh, now. But that took a lot of guts. And Tom mm-hmm. told me one time, you know, he and I didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff, but he told me, you know, I had to do that because if I had to fire him, they were going to fire me for hiring him. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, but, but you think about it, nobody, nobody cares about that much anymore. Right. Still, but that was a break. He got a great break coming to Duke and he made himself who he is today, where they're naming stuff after him. He's the greatest coach of all time. 
it's amazing. And, you know, I have deep respect for him. I saw the discipline. I saw the character that he had. But at that, that, this was 1980, 1981. Yeah. You know, we wanted to win games, and we didn't get to recruit anybody. But I followed the program for many years, and then uh, I really didn't get back to know Coach K at all. I didn't really know him when he was coaching us. In the 90s, when after he won a couple of national championships, I took a job back in Durham at a healthcare company and uh, as an executive there. And, and it was right. also the year that this, these guys called me because I had had testicular cancer in the NBA and had survived and come back and played. And, you know, you live past the five years and all that stuff. And so they called me up and said, hey, we're starting this program at the American Cancer Society with the Coaches Association in college called Coaches versus Cancer. Would you like to yep. help out? Would you? So I volunteered as a board member on the original board, and Coach K was on the board when all the other executive uh, management of that, uh, all the top coaches are the boards, you know, like uh, uh, you can go through all the, the big name coaches that through the years, they've all been on this coaches versus cancer board. So we got to know each other more then, you know, and it was really, really beneficial because he, he had went through what he went through with Jim Balvano. Um, and we just got to know each other. And then uh, through the years, you know, I've been going to Final Fours. I've been to like 25 Final Fours. 15 of them were because that's when Coaches versus Cancer has their has their meeting with the coaches. So they mm. give you a ticket, give you a plane ticket, give you a hotel room. And so that's not bad. Uh, people always say, hey, how do you get to go to the Final Four every year like that? I said, well, I had to give my left nut. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. But it was a fun time. Uh, I, I uh, we raised a lot of money. I, my business uh, is so busy now. I, I had to to go off the board because I just I didn't have the time to. I'll go to the final four now. at Duke's there, but uh, about four or five years ago, I I left the board just so they could get some fresh blood and fresh ideas. But 15 years was a fun time to to help grow that charity and and be part of it. Uh, and uh, got to know Coach K in the same time. And, you know, obviously respect is above and beyond. I mean, what he's done for Duke and what he's done for all of us, whereas most schools, you know, I mean, like Carolina had Dean Smith and uh, Don Wooden, UCLA and Adolph Rupp. I mean, you don't have one coach at one school for 30-plus years very often. So that's a huge benefit for former players because it gives you a, you know, what they branded now, the brotherhood. Yep. So, you know, Gene and I are very pleased and happy that we were part of it, but we would have never guessed it back in 1981 when we left it. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, it's, and, and what you've done for, for, for cancer, that's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. a, I mean, that's just legendary stuff. And I want to wrap it up here uh, and ask you kind of a fun question, because we, you know, uh, AC and I have kind of been going back and forth on this on this topic, uh, but you talked about Gene a decent amount, and I want to ask you: Is there anybody that kind of tops your list that does not have their number retired in Cameron that you believe should be there? Well, uh, you know, there, there, <laughs> you want to hear an interesting story? I'll tell you one. The only guy whose number was retired when I played there was Dick Rode. Mm-hmm. His number, wow. his number was retired, and he. Eddie Cameron, who the name when when Eddie Cameron um, 
this is the legend I heard, and I believe I've heard it from several credible sources, but as long as Eddie Cameron was alive, no one else's number could hang in the rafters except Dick Grove. Oh, That's wow. how much he was, yes. So Dick, uh, Eddie Cameron died sometime in the late 70s, I believe. Mm-hmm. I need to fact check me on that. I can't say I know exactly when, but it was sometime in the 70s. <clears throat> so all of a sudden, uh, Mike Jaminski's this is his senior year, senior game. We're playing Clemson. Uh, and right before the game, they pull him out and they retire his number right before the game. Wow! Didn't give it, didn't give him any warning or anything, and this was you know we were in the we were in the battle for trying to play you know we we're trying we had had some I'd been injured we'd had some losses in the middle of the year and we were trying to make a run for the tournament you know in ACC and then make yeah. a run in the NCAA tournament and this game was an important game for our seeding for the ACC tournament anyway he man tells his story better than anybody he goes. I was so shaken and upset, you know, certainly thrilled, but he was just a mess. The first half, yeah. he couldn't, he was like <laughs> tripping up. He was, he couldn't hold, he was dropping, he was missing, he couldn't do anything. Right. He brought it back together and we, we did win the game, but it was a whole lot closer than it ever should have been because we were playing pretty good at that end of that season. And he actually went to Tom Butters afterwards and said, look, don't ever do that to another guy. Don't ever do that to another player. If you're going to retire their number, you know, let them know and don't do it yeah. right before a game. Do it, you know, some <laughs> yeah, other time. Geez. So, but uh, so so G-Man was the second player I ever retired, mm-hmm. and then other players obviously started getting retired as, and they started using a criteria that I think now <clears throat> you have to have a National Player of the Year award or National mm-hmm. Defensive Player of the Year award, and I think you have to graduate to get your number retired these days. Right. So, so uh, from that, um, you know, that's people, there's a big debate about whether Zion should be retired as mm-hmm. number one. And I think it, it, he meets the criteria. So if he comes back and takes summer courses and graduates from Duke at some point, they, they should retire his number. If that's the criteria, again, right. I'm, they can change that. But I, I do know that uh, Gene Banks and Jim Spinarkel both could have been their numbers retired. Uh, yeah. But it's not like something, you know, the one thing Coach uh, K did was he went backwards and he retired Art Heyman mm-hmm. and Jeff Mullins and um, who was the other one he did? Uh, Jack Marin. So I think he retired those three in reverse, in, in arrears, after mm-hmm. he got there and they started retiring his players, which I think was a great gesture. But, right. uh, you know, I, I think retiring numbers is kind of a, a an old school thing. You know, they do have at some places like the in football, they'll have a, the ring of you know honor or they'll have their numbers up there, but they don't retire them, so, so to speak. Right. Uh, but that's not my world, and I'm not here to make the rules. But uh, certainly Gene, he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's a Duke legend. Um, he and G-Man and Spinarco and I have been named Duke legends at the ACC tournament stuff. Mm-hmm. So we've gotten plenty of accolades. But as far as, uh, you know, there's there's just things that the way they are is the way they are. I know Spinarco's number, he's the one that really helped start it all. He came first, and Jaminski came second, and then me and Gene came third and fourth, or third, A1, A3A, 3B. 
But, uh, yeah, I'm not – I love Gene. Gene and I stay in great touch. We've been lifetime pals. We had a special relationship and still do to this day. But when we played, it was magic. I mean, people don't – nobody really knows unless they were back then how much fun it was. The things that we – Gene and I talked about it this year. The things that we saw with this team this year in 2018, 2019 – Mm-hmm. They had the passion and the playfulness and the joy that we had, but they had right. more skill. These guys have more skills. Okay, Gene had great skills, but uh, you know our this team here had 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 many more physical capabilities than than we did. But uh, it was fun to watch this year. Well, I mean, it's you. You guys are. Your your era, you and Gene especially were you know guys that for for Jimmy and I were old enough to, you know to 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 know you guys and just and love what you've done for for this program and and you've set up, you know what what has been you know for us decades of just the best basketball that we could we could watch so, you know we this this has been a true honor for us to have you on, I I would. I would love to. Say, I, I want. I want to say. I, please come. If we can. If we can stay in touch, we'd love to have you again and just sure, pick your brain on so many things because there's so much. You know, there's you forgot. You've forgotten more about basketball than we've ever known. So this it's. <laughs> well, and it's that's been right. True when, you, when, when you when you hit sixty, you definitely have Swiss cheese for memory. <laughs> I try to remember all the good stuff, though. I try not to remember the bad stuff. <laughs> well, you know, once again, we truly honored to have, you know, not not just a Duke player, but ACC legend and Duke legend here on our, on our podcast speaking with us. Like, I, I, I will never forget this. And and just want to say thank you once again for coming on and, and, and being on here with us. My pleasure. And go Devils. Go Duke. Duke. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And go to my website, gthc.com. Absolutely. Oh, I, will, I will be there. <laughs> GTHC, GTH.com, guys. Go to it. Thanks. Okay, that was awesome. Um, you know, the, again, how honored are we, how lucky are we to be able to get uh, our, our first two basketball player. Hopefully, hopefully. Like, this uh, should be the last podcast, right? Like, we should just stop. It, it, now, might, right? it might have to. It might, it might have to. Um, we got we to gotta finish out on top. Um, but he did touch on something, you know, the last question that we asked him. Um, you know, who should be retired that isn't currently retired for Duke? And I think that this topic really started with, you know, now that Zion swept all the, the Player of the Year awards, do we believe that Zion should have his jersey retired? And I know that you and I have talked about this offline, you know, going back and forth. Right. I I can go either way on this one. I could be sold either way. Uh, ultimately, though, the guy that I really want up there well, actually, there's a handful, but the guy I really want up there, I want him to come back, finish the Duke three. Not that he needs it, but Elton Brand, man. Yeah. That guy was a beast. Yeah. He was a beast as a freshman. He was an absolute stud. Player of the year. Should have yeah. gotten the ball more against Connecticut and lead us to a national championship his sophomore year. Went on to be the number one pick uh, of the Chicago Bulls and had a fantastic NBA career. Now the GM of the Sixers. Elton, to me, kind of tops that list of, of players that don't have their jersey retired currently um, and arguably should. Who kind of tops your list? The top of my list? So 
we're going to come back and touch on on the the Zion hypothetical situation because when when he gets his degree, it's not going to be an if; it's going to be a when. The okay. kid wants it. When he gets his degree, the number one should never be worn by anybody else ever again. Number one, because one and done basketball is going to be finished by that point, at, at least for a while, unless they bring it back or something. One, the, the era of one and done is going to be done, and that's what that number one symbolizes. So that should never be worn by anybody else ever again. And then number two, just like he is the best product college, not just Duke, but college basketball may have ever seen. Like depending on what he does in the pros, like the NCAA might they might have seen like their their greatest asset at least since Lou Alcindor. So like for him to be at Duke and for his jersey not to be in the rafters and for future recruits who have when they're right now they're five and six and seven years old and all they can think about is Zion. Like my my nephew like he has a little hoop and he dunks and every right before he slams it down as he's jumping in the air he goes Zion and he jump like he's four years old. Like these kids and and twelve you know, 12 and 13 years are going to be being recruited by schools. And if they come to visit Duke and they don't see Zion Williamson's jersey in the rafters, to me, that's a crime, especially if the kid gets his degree, because that's one of the factors. One of the factors is not four years at Duke. That's not no, what I, not, I, not I, one I of the factors. I agree with you. Completely yeah. agree with so that. If, he gets his, um, if he gets his degree, then he needs to be in the rafters, in my opinion, for, for the future of the school. It's not about Kay's legacy at that point, because he's going to be gone. It's about Duke. And, and when you remember Duke, you're going to remember Coach K. You're going to remember certain guys. And Zion Williamson's one of those guys you're going to have to remember. So I know the Duke Hall of Fame is there and everything like that. It's different being in the rafters. And he needs to be up there, in my opinion. But right now, of the guys that actually fit the criteria, Mark Allery, to me, is the one that needs to be there. Like, it, it does, it's not going to mean anything to recruiting or anything else like that. It's just the, the guy was so good. And he, he represents one of K's, K's first great class. And, and his first great team, and he, he's a 2,000-point scorer, you know, one of the top rebounders in the history of the school, and he meets he fits the criteria other than he was never a first-team All-American, and I get it why that's there, but, like, he, he was he was second. He was second-team All-American. Like, he's right there, man. Like, it's it's one of those things that's criminally close for him to be to be left off of the list of having his jersey in the rafters. Like, it's... It, I, I love the guy to death. It's him and him and Gene Banks are my my top two. Yeah, I, I can't argue with any of those. And uh, kind of wrapping up that Zion portion, I I love the fact that Duke has that requirement to get your degree. I yeah. think that that's awesome. Absolutely. And if if he does come back and get his degree, I one thousand percent think his jersey should be up there. Like you said, it's not a four year. Uh, that's not one of the requirements. Right. And that's fine. You know, Jason Williams is a three year guy. Um, you know, we're talking about a transcendent player, and you don't yeah. get transcendent players very often, especially in college. You know, the yeah. last transcendent player was LeBron James, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, I love Kevin Durant as a player, but he didn't transcend the game to me. No. Um, you can argue, you know, kind of uh, Steph Curry for certain things, but nobody, nobody. I, I have never seen anything like it. I've no. never seen anything like it that what Zion brought. Uh, and again, we've said it all season long on this podcast, the Zion and Duke brand together is just, it's, it's steroids on steroids. Well, it's so, it is so much. It's so much hype. And yeah. he lived up to and exceeded the hype. Well, you know, look, before, at, look at, let's look at it this way. Hold, hold, just pause your thought real quick. Hold on to it. 
let's think about it this way. K, like K is going to be gone. Like K, Coach Krzyzewski is going to be gone in, in a few yeah, years. Yeah. And, and recruiting. Let's think about recruiting because we all want this program to continue its greatness. Like we want to be, we want to continue to be great into the future. We don't want to, you know, fade away when K fades away. So you won't have him to hang your hat on anymore because recruits aren't going to be coached by him. He, he might be hanging around the program and such, but you're not going to have him to hang your hat on. And the next guy who gets the job is going to have a difficult job. But if he can always go back and point and say, I was there or I was around or I helped or I did something with you know Zion Williamson, if you can throw Zion Williamson, be the next Zion for this, this school and this program, you have a selling point all day long you have you have the greatest selling point like kids are such fans of zion and they are duke fans for life right now so if you keep the train rolling with recruits then you're only going to keep your brand up and that's only going to help things when coach k actually steps down it's so right and i keep thinking back to you know unc using mj for all those years yeah and Uh, they still use him they still use him it's incredible i mean it's i mean I hate the guy, but it's why Harrison Barnes went there. Yeah, yeah, his no, mom had a, His mom had a huge crush on Michael Jordan. Yeah, so they, you know, had Jordan be there, you know, when he did his official visit. It's um, gonna be like Shaq. You know, this could be kids named Zion in 13 years that 100%. you're gonna look on recruiting websites. 100. percent And and that's just the thing. I I completely agree. Let's finish this one up. It's been an awesome podcast. I want to ask you oh, yeah. of the big of the big three law firm, Singler. Shire and Smith, do any of those guys should they be up in the Raptors? Uh, again, man, it's that, it's that criteria thing. Like, what Nolan out of those three, I think Nolan's the only one who was a first team All American at any point. If if that's the case, the one thing holding him back, I don't know that he has USA basketball experience. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know that he a couple of those summers where he could have been on some of those U16 and 17 and 18 teams that kind of helps you out. I don't think he made it onto any of those rosters. He tried out, but I don't think he made it. Shire played USA basketball and Singler did as well, but I don't think Nolan did. And I think that's, again, I think that's one of the things that's holding him back. Like the criteria stinks. And I think with Singler, he he got that most outstanding player of the final four. That qualifies him. Um, yeah. All those three to me, he's that he's the guy that if if any I of think those you're right. it, he's um, top they, ten in scoring, like he's one of the top yeah. rebounders in the program. Like he's, I think you're right. He, like his four years were better than the other two's four years. I think you're right. I think it's Singler. Yeah. So there we have it. It's a fun topic, especially for the off season. But we're mm-hmm. we're jacked up, man, that we were able to have our first Duke basketball player come join us on this podcast. I love it, a lot man. of fun. And uh, we're hey, like I said, we're we're not leaving you uh, during the off season. There's no off season for the Duke basketball program, and that means that the Five Point Play podcast isn't taking a summer vacation either. So we'll be here, and hopefully we'll have some uh, some more entertaining guests uh, for you guys as we uh, as we get through the dog days of summer here. Go Duke! Go Duke!